When you look at prices as they're trying to destroy demand, the thing that people aren't talking about is are they destroying supply faster? And if they are, prices aren't coming down. They might actually keep going up. Hello there, how are you all? Are you having a good week? I know it's been pretty crazy out there with everything that's happened with FTX and it is easy to kind of focus on the negative, but I do want to talk about a positive this week. I was at the Pacific Bitcoin conference and I think Corey and the whole Swan team did an amazing job and it was great to hang out with Bitcoiners with, with this whole world of crypto burning down. Most of the time I spent talking about Bitcoin and what we can do with it. So yes, that's been a really interesting thing and I, I look forward to going to the conference again next year. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. And on today's show, I've got my good buddy, I've got Preston Pish back. Now, I feel very lucky to be working in this space. I feel like I've got the best job in the world sometimes. I just get to hang out with really super smart people and put all the questions I have to them and see what I can learn from them. And with Preston, I, I not only get to talk to him about Bitcoin and macro, but I also get to pick his brain on running a podcast. He's built this incredible podcast business, which is like a media business now. And he's got so much experience. He's been doing this longer than me. So it's really great to pick his brain on that. But as we were in the same city at the same time, as we were in LA together, I pinged him. I said, come on, Preston, come back on the show. And so, yeah, I got into a bunch of macro stuff with him, but also got to pick his brain on all this crazy stuff with FTX. And yeah, as ever with Preston, it was a great rip. And now, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please feel free to get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I know some of you have had a tough week. I've received some emails. If you've got any questions, if I can help you, please do get in touch. Okay, over to Preston. I hope you enjoy this. Preston, how are you, man? Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Did you enjoy the conference? I loved this conference. This was It was so just chill and uh, cool. They killed it, man. It was so L.A. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really neat. The basketball was... Did, did you ever go? Oh, my God. Did it you see so the cool. video? Did you see the video of Corey? Yeah, Corey's out there. Evidently, he's a, a three-point monster. Like, I mean, it was legit. Have you seen this video? Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. Oh, my God. It was unreal. Well, I think they killed it. It's, I like those smaller ones. It was good to, um, good to catch up with some people. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Whilst the world burned down, or the crypto world <laughs> yeah, burned down. In, in the face of everything that was happening, you sure as hell wouldn't have been able to tell from the conference. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't even know what the price is, but um, it's been a weird week. Yeah, very weird. Yeah. How do you take it all in? Um, I, I see it as a cleansing. Yeah. You know, just uh, it sure hasn't changed my opinions on anything. Um. I'm I'm a little shocked at the size of the of the scam that was being played on everyone, and when you're dealing with privately uh, private equity, um, you know, not a publicly traded company where you can kind of peer into the books, it's it's a little hard to to kind of know what you were dealing with. But you know, like anybody else, when you see athletes running around, uh, like prominent athletes, we're not talking like small athlete like tom brady and and the such right like the, the goat <laughs> yeah yeah and stadiums i mean this actually the stadiums were probably the best cue you had that that maybe they were more concerning more you should be more concerned than, than not because the whole stadium naming thing to me is um well i took that though as oh, they must be very well funded or doing particularly well yeah like well, I, I see it. I, I see that as you, you see you see a lot of different companies that will name a stadium and they're 
they're desperate for uh, marketing, right? But maybe maybe not the best product underneath of it. Sometimes you see that a lot with with stadium names, and then the company goes bankrupt within within years after that. But there you go. This is the stadium naming curse. There you go. There's, exactly. There's so many of these te- of these uh, companies that have. Oh really? Sponsored oh yeah. And gone per- burst. Yeah. Yeah. So like the stadium name isn't a good example, but like when you had these these really big names of people, <laughs> the National Car Rental Stadium. <laughs> what an exciting name! <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. But in general, my my point is more like. I, I didn't see FTX blowing up in literally seconds. And when you when you can't peer into the numbers and you can't actually see what's being done, like it's kind of hard to be able to to see something like that coming. Now, um, you got a quest, you got to wonder like who was auditing these books and who was he had no board members and like. How, well, the Sequoia this, guy was it? The Sequoia guy on the board was. They said the only photo of him is like from the back of him in front of the computer. You sent me that video, Danny. Oh, the vi- oh, was that, 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 was that oh, my brother who no, sent me no, that? that? My that brother sent me this video. Um, let me send you it. When when you think about the governance of uh, FTX, which is super important for people that are like piecing, trying to piece things together, right at the end of this. Um, you you have to say who were the adults at the table that were that were working with them and advising them and i think what you have when when you really pull back and look at like and analyze what happened when you have a company that's demonstrating a growth rate a, a hyperbolic growth rate vcs venture capital money all this fiat that sits inside of the vc space that's that's trying to get, uh, gain a piece of that equity. They just don't even care because mm. what they're what's driving their investment thesis. They're just looking at the numbers of users. It's right saying, checks. That's right, and they're just like, uh, yeah, I don't care who's on your board. I don't care like any of that stuff. I just see the the user counts going up, so just give them more money, and and then you're talking multiples, right? So like. Their, their last round was whatever, their next round is going to be higher. And so then you get these, these situations where they do that. And, then, and that's not even talking about the fraud that was, that was happening in FTX, right? That's a whole other story. But Can you look up how, how much they raised? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand. One of the things I don't understand is, firstly, how, how do you think you're going to get away with it? And secondly, why haven't you thought this through? I mean, when you look at Bernie Madoff, he got 150 years in prison. Okay, yeah. he was never coming out. Multiple people committed suicide, including his son. Mm-hmm. Um, lives were devastated. Yeah. Funds you know, were devastated. Like kids didn't have operations based on the money that was lost. Yeah. There were bone marrow transplant operations that didn't happen. But in, in your head, it's like even if, if you get in this situation, you're, you're facing the consequence of maybe going to jail for decades. Mm-hmm. Like Sam could go to jail for decades. Oh, yeah, I hope he does. Yeah, yeah I, I hope he does. And that's like a like his whole like was he put in a position he shouldn't have been in? Well, I mean, he it wasn't that he was put in a position. I mean, he created this monster. Yeah, he created this monster from the ground up. And you know, there's there's a really important uh, quote that that I always remember from Buffett, and I'm probably I'm not going to get it exactly right, right. but um, it goes something like. <clears throat> 
when you have a person who of superior intelligence and you match that with somebody who's casual with the truth or unethical, you have the most dangerous person you can possibly create in that scenario. Mm. And I think that's what you had with Sam. I mean, he was, he was extremely intelligent and intelligent from a, um, from a trading prop desk kind of way, yeah. which was Alameda. And when you have that and you combine it with this person who is very casual with the truth and very comfortable in a gray space and in this in this case just outright scammer he was he, he didn't care he's taking customer funds to go then trade them and try to to earn it back without i mean that's that's insane yeah but why i mean also how, ego ego well how bad were alameda at trading as well <laughs> oh yeah like how bad would you have to be yeah because they had a good reputation beforehand, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. That was the same with Three Arrows. Exactly, yeah. Did you find out the fact how much they... I think it's about just short of 2 billion, like 1.7 billion, I think. Do we know who this... Do you know much of that was Sequoia? Uh, it was a lot. I mean... I think... Oh, I don't know. Let me have a look. One of the consequences you know, the, for them. The thing for me that, that speaks to the ego is there was like this chat log of, of when he took a Sequoia meeting and he was literally playing video games while he was taking the Sequoia meeting. <laughs> I kind of like that. It's like, but, <laughs> I mean, it's insane. I get, well, it, it, for me, it's a respect thing. Like it's, it's, you have such a monstrous ego that mm. you don't even have respect for this company that's about to literally give you billions of dollars to fund because, because you're not cash flow positive. That's why he's taking money. It's because he's not, he's not free, he's not producing free cash flows of his own. Do you think it's ego? Or do you think he's just... It may be that he's because he's on the spectrum, right? He's is he autistic or I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but but for me, it's like I would I personally would never in a million years go because think about it. Like of your company's you your company's dependent on like all those employees that he has that works for for FTX and and all those customer funds, all that stuff, right? It all depends on him going and raising more money because he's not profitable. Mm. Um, so he has to secure the funding. And this idiot is literally there playing a Dungeons and Dragons game during the call. Now, this is where you gotta double down on the insanity of it. The people in the Sequoia log, he's, he's there playing video games and he's like, you know, I get, I, I, and he's, this is where he, he's intelligent and that he knew what they needed to hear. And what they needed to hear was he has, there's more runway for growth is, is all you got to convince them. Of, right. Right. So he's there saying, um, oh yeah, I see my app, the FTX app, where you can go do this. You can do that. You can go buy a banana with it. And the chat log goes crazy. I, I love this guy. This guy's so smart. And so then I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm just imagining like what was taking place. This is over Zoom, right? I can just imagine the 25-year-old Ivy League Sequoia people, right? 25 to 35-year-old uh -huh. Sequoia people that are on the call that are typing these things. I, I imagine them with two screens. They've got Sam on one of them. And then on the other screen, they're, they're like searching Twitter or they're in some, uh, they're watching some other thing that they're just doing multitasking. And he says one thing and, and one person in the chat log says they love him and they're like, okay, well, let me respond to this like yeah. I'm actually partaking it. So like you have this dichotomy of just separation 
Like they're not all in the same room. They're not fully engaged. And, and you're talking about billions of dollars and millions of people that are being impacted by this. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I do wonder what the impact will be now because uh, Mount Gox was a... This was Mount Gox times like 100, right? Well, or a thousand yeah. or whatever. But off the back of that, like I know Coinbase are not a particularly popular exchange with Bitcoiners. I know Kraken and Gemini aren't because they, they're not Bitcoin only. I know yeah. Binance aren't for, for various reasons. But yeah, at, at least we understand with those exchanges that they are running tight ships, tight operations. They well, they're publicly traded, the, like well, uh, Coinbase. Coinbase is, is yeah. but, and, and I think Kraken eventually will be, and I'm sure Gemini yeah. will be at some point, but at, at the same time, you do understand these are people running proper businesses now. Yeah. You know, they've, they've been operational for multiple years. They're profitable businesses. Uh, and and this is somebody who's come in recklessly and damaged the industry, damaged individuals, damaged businesses, damaged you know, people's holdings in Bitcoins. Yeah. You know, there's there is some dark consequences for this. And I know people hate regulations. And I know people hate the likes of kind of Coinbase being so friendly with regulators. But at the same time, it's like, well, they're building proper businesses within yeah. the infrastructure. And that'll be our coffee. So, mm-hmm. um, so for me, it's kind of like, I've kind of got a little bit more respect now for the likes of Coinbase, Crack, and Gemini for what they've done. I, I'm hesitant to really have an opinion because I just don't know any of their books. I don't know the people well enough to really comment. Yeah, I can tell you this was an absolute cesspool. And um, if you would have asked me, you know, as it started getting closer, there was it, it became way more obvious. You know, I was a couple of days before this happened. I tweeted out like, hey, is this is this is Sam basically the next Enron? And sure enough, he was. Yeah. Um, the speed was unbelievable. The speed was unbelievable, which which gets straight to the vaporware, which is proof of stake shit coins, um, and how much they can be levered to create billions of dollars out of thin air. A, a billion mm. dollar hole on a balance sheet um, can deflate literally in hours. Mm. Billions, like people just can't wrap their head around. I think we're we're so psychologically detached from how much eight billion dollars is. Yeah. yeah, because we talk about these numbers and we talk about billionaires and, but like if you were gonna like break that out, like I don't know what that would be, but I would guess like that'd be like a hundred people working like ten thousand, ten thousand years straight or some crazy number, right? People can do the math, but it would be something like that. Do do you think it reflects um, where we are in the kind of economic cycle as well in that it's, you know, we've got to this kind of end point where everything's blowing up. It's kind of like, let's throw money at companies. These companies could grow in quick and blind. Do you think it's just a reflection of where we are? Like, it's almost like not only is it it cleansing uh, for the kind of, let's say, broad crypto industry, but we're going through a cleansing in the economy anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. To make a billion dollars at minimum wage, you have to work for 69,000 years. 69,000 years. And he's lost 10 plus. Yeah. So if you take 100 people, it would take just, yeah. I mean, just like people need to frame things in terms of actual proof of work labor that a person would have to perform. And this clown literally just 
like almost like a Thanos kind of thing. He snaps mm -hmm. his finger and he and he just like think about that. The 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 hours, the churn, the the actual physical human labor that that that, that represents. And this dude just he's well, he's there playing video games to funny. bringing on billions of dollars, doing like it was just well, Preston, we know it's, how hard it's we're, Look at the we've size worked <laughs> the last four or five years to just build this, right? Yeah. And our revenues obviously are, are nowhere near that, but we work so hard and we conserve our capital. And, you know, we consider like, what happens next year if, there, if the market is sideways? What if we don't have enough sponsors? Let's put some money by and make sure yeah. we can survive. Have we got a year? What's our runway? Maybe it's a year. You know, we're not looking to borrow anyone's money. We're not looking to print a token. We work hard and try and protect ourselves. Yeah. And like you say, he has just eviscerated so much productivity. Yeah. Well, if, if there's some, if there's some things to kind of look at that are positives that are coming out of it, is look at all the people that have been screaming, "Not your keys, not your coins." They're Mount Goxers, right? Or they were around back in that in that day, and they saw firsthand the devastation that it created. Well, you just created a whole lot more of those people to inform, you know, everyone as we move forward in the timeline here, um, how vitally important that is to be able to hunker down in your own private custody. Well, I mean, let me tell you, I've slept pretty well these last this this last week, mm. right? <laughs> There's a reason why, because I know nobody can take the the coins that I've got. And there's people learning that really hard lesson. And, and there was people in the space that were trying to warn everybody to get your get a hold of your stuff. So mm -hmm. those are positives. On the policy side, Sam was, um, you know, I had a, a conversation with uh, Jason Brett recently. Who's that? Um, he's, he's a lobbyist uh, that works on the Hill and up in DC and, um, he was saying that Sam was really trying to jam through this new bill. I think the bill is, uh, what is it called? The OCCP. Yeah. He was like aggressively trying to push this new bill through. And it was all in, in benefit of an FTX exchange, the, the way that it was, that it was being worded. Uh, and you had the, the uh, Gillibrand uh, Lummis yeah. bill that was preceding it that seemed like that was going to be the direction that uh, the policy was going to take, which, you know, is definitely not perfect, but in the grant, like comparing the two is way better than this one that was going to be jammed through. And, and when I talked to Jason just a couple days before all this happened, he was like, and the, we just, re we recorded a show that was released. People can kind of check it out to kind of see how frustrated I was in the interview of like, how is this guy able to influence policy so aggressively? Well, he was able to do it because he was literally stealing customers' funds and going and trading it and, and creating fake money out of FTT tokens by levering them and, and building them onto the balance sheet of Alameda, right? And then taking all that and then going and influencing people on the Hill to jam through a policy that's not advantageous for the community it was yep. advantageous for his parasitic behavior how I much think, did I think he, he was like the sixth biggest donated to the democrat party as well or fifth or sixth have you got the because i'm oh, sure yeah. i saw numbers which were like tens of millions or they, they were hundreds tens, they were tens yeah. of millions with the intent of of them being nine figure uh, uh donations like huh. like high nine figure donations like almost nearly a billion was the intention but the what he actually gave was way less 
Uh, and and let me let me strongly, you know, I am as apolitical as they come. And if he was making donations to one party or the other, like I'm gonna I'm gonna say, hey, that's not right. Especially when you're taking customer funds out of FTX and yeah. And scamming people and here you go. Sam Bankman Fried's donated forty million 40 in the million. Mid, in yeah. the midterms. But you can find articles where he was intent on donating nine hundred million. Crazy. How can you be worth thirty two billion and then zero weeks later? I mean, I know how, because it's all fake. It was all vaporware. Yeah, all vaporware. But how is somebody how is somebody not on top of this? I but yeah, back to my previous point. Does, is this just a reflection of it is everything? Really? It is absolutely a reflection of, and so and you know what else is a reflection? If we'd go back in time and you look at the the monkey JPEGs, and you look at the like the insanity in the in the bidding of millions of dollars for things that you could literally go onto a computer. I mean, you're talking about like eight bit video game characters that this one's green this one's blue this one's purple and this one's got like that those are a million dollars like that was that was the signal of your top this is what a bottom starts to look like right and now how long does this go i don't know it's it really depends on uh on how much the the central bankers allow it to continue to to persist but they have got to get the inflation prints lower so where are we at price wise uh we are it seems to be a magnet around twenty like, k, around seventeen, like sixteen, eight. Huh. But I mean, to swat again, we swallowed a lot of bad news to still have Bitcoin at sixteen, eight. Yeah. yeah. yeah Luna. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Celsius. Is... This, I mean, it's essentially three or four Mt. Gox in the space of six months. This is extremely healthy stuff, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah. That's all of those activities are. Could you imagine building on top of those, like? If if we weren't going through this tightening right now, and let's say they they were releasing the floodgates again, like you're just going to have more of of these types of activities that can kind of get built on top of this. Like, you want to talk about a real meltdown? Like that would be mm. that would be really concerning. And and from an engineering standpoint, you start to wonder. In the policy standpoint, if the policies start getting built, like. I don't know what would have happened from a policy standpoint if this guy was able to really influence key policymakers and jam some of this stuff through. And I mean, holy, holy, that's not a world I want to live in. This show is brought to you by Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, with the recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only are Ledin sponsor, I'm also a customer of theirs too. So if you want to find out more, please head over to Ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Fidelity Investments. 
So one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking me how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments recently reached out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team and help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. They actually started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team and services. Their in-house fintech incubator is where their teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. And they will provide resources, training and development to make you successful in this emergent industry. You can learn more about this at crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Next up, it is Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, before I even started this podcast, and I absolutely love the S Plus. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is shop.ledger.com. Also, today we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online Bitcoin casino. To find out more about BitCasino, the first casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Well, I agree with you. I think the cleansing is good. It's what, yeah. what comes out of it. Um, I clash with people on the borrowing lending side of things because it's not your keys, not your Bitcoin. But I also think there is going to be mar- a market for financial services for borrowing and lending. I think the rates will need to be higher. I think it's going to be peer-to-peer. Yeah. Like, like uh, Hoddle Hoddle is a, is a great example of, hey, why haven't they blown up? Like, Well, there's a reason. It's because they are literally going peer-to-peer to another person over collateralized right and so if if that um loan to value starts dropping down there's there's protocols that force that that loan to be closed out when you start putting it into a black box and you have people like scam uh, bankman <laughs> fraud here <laughs> no, it's even better it's, it's scam Bankrupt, bankrupt, bankrupt fraud. <laughs> it's almost like, like well, I was looking at the other day. I was thinking, hold on, is this like we're we being trolled here? We're totally in a simulation. Is, is, yeah. Is, yeah, like yeah. how can he? How can his name be pretty much if you squint? Scam, bankrupt, fraud, <laughs> and he's done this. It's like, come on, come on. But to your to your yeah. point on the borrowing and lending, I think in the future, like. The only thing that that I can see that would make any of that digestible is if you're going peer to peer, is because 
when you start consolidating and almost like a, a consolidated debt obligation from like the 2008 crisis, when you're pulling all this stuff together, there's, there's systemic risk that's, that gets built into that that is disastrous. Mm. And uh, I mean, just look at everything blowing up right now. It's crazy. Yeah. I hope that's the end of it. <laughs> all right, man. So uh, that's a big intro to talk about macro with you. Um, yeah. Me and Danny were talking about it beforehand. Uh, everything's kind of calmed. I can't tell if everything's calmed down or I've just been distracted by everything that's happened with FTX this week. But it feels like inflation is starting to drop. The levels are starting to drop. It feels like the, the economy, I mean, the I know the UK economy is heading for a recession, but it feels like the massive headlines regarding the economy, regarding inflation, it feels like things are starting to calm down a little bit, but mm-hmm. I've not been paying attention. What, what's going on, man? So... You, your CPI is is coming down a little bit, right? But you you have to remember, like it's prices are still going up. Mm. Yeah, prices are still going up. It's the rate at which they're going up, and that's really important for people to to understand that difference. And so the the speed at which they're going up is is slowing, and um, but I don't think they're they're aggressively you know, I would call that deceleration, right? Like the deceleration is not really all that much. So if we were driving in a car and I jam on the brakes, like that's aggressive deceleration. If I'm just lightly tapping on the brakes and we were going 70 and now we're going 65 and 63 and all, all of a sudden maybe we're going faster again. Um, I would describe it more in the latter sense than the former. Is that so, not natural though? In that there's well, a lag. What's concerning is is if we're going 150 miles an hour, right, and the speed limit on the road is is 40, like, and you're decelerating to 140, uh, you're still you're you're putting a lot of risk out there as to like really potentially breaking something really bad, and I I would describe what we're seeing right now as as that. Right, okay. Yeah. So what do you think they should be doing? Do you think they should be massively hiking rates? So here's the thing. There's there's nothing I could tell you that they could be doing better because the the situation is so dire. Right? Like if if you put me in the seat at any one of these central banks, I don't know that I could really do policy different. And this is this is a huge like foot stomp for me. I love banging up central bankers, like with the best of them, right? <laughs> but if you're really going to get at the inherent problem, you have to go upstream of that. And when you go upstream of that, it's fiscal appropriators that are the, are the actual problem. What's a fiscal appropriator? So like the, the people that are spending the money. So like you have tax right. revenues, right? Let's say you, you bring in a trillion. And so like that's what you can work with. And so... They, they might slice up that trillion and say, all right, well, we've got 500 billion that's going to military spending. We have 200 billion that's going to whatever, right? And so they're the ones that are spending. The, the, the spending is far exceeding what's, what's coming through the door. In fact, here, it's starting to get so bad that just the interest expense alone, like not even into productive things that you're spending, the, the interest expense alone is starting to come up to numbers that are like the size of the military spending. Right. Which is insane, right? So when you talk about a central banker, the central banker is the one who's adjusting the money supply 
to try to work with what's being spent, the fiscal appropriators. Right. So they're the ones that are that are making all these decisions to to it'd be like um, let me give you an, a good example. Just like in in a typical household, like maybe a husband and wife goes out and they decide to buy all this excess, like way outside of whatever both of their paychecks can support. But if they had, if if they were able to control the currency, right? They would say, oh yeah, we spent a bunch of money, but let's just add more currency into the system and then we can spend even more. That, that ability to adjust the currency is the central bankers that are trying to offset the really poor decision-making of living in excess and, li- and spending way outside of their means. So the UK government right now, I can't remember if they've done their mi- budget. I think they've got a mini budget coming, but they've talked about two things. They're going to raise taxes. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be reducing spending, mm-hmm. so more austerity. Um, I've got some comments on that. Yeah, please do tell <laughs> yeah. me. Well, so think about it. Yeah. So Trust came in. She she was like, "Hey, we're forty four days." <laughs> immediately out of the gate, got really really loose and like, "Hey, we're going to go out and we're going to do all these other things and we're going to we're going to spend again, right?" Yeah. And as soon as she did that, the uh, the guild market, as everybody knows was like, well, then if you're going to spend that much, we know that's going to turn into debasement. And, and because of that, uh, all these bond yields need to blow out, need to, the bond market needs to sell off because um, that's, that's representing that, that they couldn't pay for it. Like every, it's just a big math equation, right? Mm. So the whole bond market starts blowing up because she's going to go out and spend like crazy. So then they are like, okay, well, and you can see this in, a, in the bond yield curve for for the guild market you can see all of this literally play out right on that on that chart across all durations you should see it. i mean it is like a whipsaw so she so everyone was like they had to come in they had to do qe they had to backstop it 66 which, billion was it uh, yeah i think, I think that's about, i think about you're right yeah. yeah um so they do qe they backstop it and i think the central bank looked at looked over at the fiscal appropriators and are like all right, crazies, like you're forcing us to do something that we don't want to do. We already got sky high double digit inflation. Like what, it, what in the world is this policy? You have to reverse course. And they did, they reverse course. And when you look at the bond yield curve, you'll see it get bid, aggressively get bid, right? But here's the thing, Pete. So like they're saying that they're going to be more fiscally appropriate, but they're not going to be. It's just a narrative. It's a story. And, and if I was going to like describe to you what I think they're doing is think of it like a race where you have like 10 people doing a 100, 100 meter sprint down the track. And one of those people is, is running the slowest. And there's like this monster that's coming after them, right? And so they're just like, you know, if we just say we're not going so slow and like we get up there, like we'll get faster in the race, which is what they're doing, that they're catching up so that they're not going to get gobbled up by the monster, mm-hmm. right? But there's no intention for them to actually com- complete this race. Like they're all going to get gobbled up by the monster. Like it's just a story. They're not actually going to be more fiscally appropriate. They've just got to be, a pr- they just got to look like they're, like they're not going to get gobbled up for long enough so that they can all collectively debase together once again 
to just like keep the scheme going that like seems to never end. Who's the first but, mover in that? But they, but they will. What's that? Who's the who's the first mover? Do you think? When you say first mover, like we, who's going to be the first one to break and start debasing again? I I don't know, but that's but that's the big question, right? It's like so they they they've duped everybody thinking that they're going to be like fiscally appropriate now, mm. right? Yeah, and and they kind of because it's all talk. They don't have to realize any of that because. The math on this is all in this big giant model of the next 10 years that is then going back into the debt markets to be repriced. And so, so as they talk and they're saying, we're going to be more appropriate, we're, we're, not, gonna, we're not gonna spend at will, the, the models then change. And when you're, when you're this far down the rabbit hole of, of lies, like these models are like, the, the curve in these models is just tremendous, right? Mm. For one little thing that they say that they're gonna change. So they, they say that, they, uh, you, you get into this situation where who can lie the best? Mm. Sam Bankman-Fried. Is, is really, yeah, Sam <laughs> yeah. and, um, so, and who are they up against? I think that'd be the next one. So they're up against Japan, they're up yeah. against the US, it's the EU and the UK are really kind of the, it's not 10, it's really kind of four of them just trying to convince the world that, that okay. their treasury market is not insolvent. And so the UK was the, was the one that was about to be gobbled up in, in the lie. And so who's next? Uh, the, maybe the US, maybe Japan, I, I don't know. Now you got a little bit of a re relief rally this, this week with the, the deceleration of, of inflation. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, what happens when the next print, when it's the exact same number? Do you th what like, is the prediction though? I, I have yeah. no idea. I think it's too early to have the prediction for next month. Yeah. But what is it, 7.7? .7? Yeah. Right. The UK what, is still over 10. Oh, is it still over 10? I don't know. Yeah. One of the things that, that I think is a really important idea that's almost never discussed is when you look at the last 40 years and you look at how interest rates have come down, everybody's familiar with the charts, right? That, that show how uh, yeah. all these interest rates on all these net consuming nations, nation states have been going down like that. Um, one of the things that I think is lost is as central banks step in and they continue to do these, these business cycles and they reflate and especially as of recently through QE and, and those types of activities, what's, what's lost is you have the consolidation of enterprise and you have the larger companies step in and they, they gobble up the, the, the smaller companies. And the way I would describe this is you, you lack biodiversity of business. So think of, if you, went, if you walked into a forest and you would see all sorts of different species of plants, animals, that's a healthy forest. It can, it can withstand uh, a, you know, any type of uh, disruption that would happen in that forest could, could fix itself and heal itself because you have so much biodiversity in the forest. When you think of business and you think of competition in, in a naturally free and open market with a sound money inside of it, you have a lot of biodiversity inside of, of the economy. But through manipulation, you're actually removing that biodiversity of, of commerce between businesses. And when you do that, 
what happens at the end of that, like as, as you do this for 40 years from basically the 81 down, um, when you look at uh, business today, just look around, it's like you go into a food store, right? Every, there's, it looks like there's millions of different products, but you could probably trace every one of those products back to about 10 companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nestle and Coca-Cola and... And it's probably all corn syrup and, all, and that's a yeah. whole nother right, topic. Well, there's but, a, I've actually noticed a big change in um, uh, the supermarkets in the UK mm -hmm. in, over the last two years. I wonder if we've got Emma with us here. I wonder if she's noticed the same in that uh, less and less of the space in the supermarket is now dedicated to food products. Mm -hmm. And more of it is being dedicated to other things you might need in the home. So historically, you go and get your food and maybe your toilet rolls and your toiletries and a few things. But now there's like the, the main shelves of in the supermarket I go to, uh, it's a Sainsbury's. It's like a huge building and it, it was two massive rows of shelves right one side was kind of like all food and bread and vegetables and the other side at the very end there was like frozen stuff now it's like i've noticed when you go around there's just less and less ranges of products mm -hmm. but more and more almost like they're becoming like department stores yeah and it's, it's kind of like the kmart model right yeah and, and have you noticed that but it but it's just an example of, of many, no matter where you look, like we're talking about food and how it's becoming consolidated and you're not having a, a diversity of uh, businesses that own the product lines. And this is happening everywhere. Literally anywhere you look, throughout anywhere in the economy, you're gonna find this, this consolidation of enterprise. Now, why is that important, okay? It's important because as you look at supply chains breaking down, Okay, let's say that I'm building a complex part or, or let's just say I'm building like a, a really complex robot for whatever business. And this is a $10 million robot that I'm building, right? And then I'm gonna build them at scale. When you look at all the pieces and parts that go into that, I have to tap into a supply chain. Maybe I have a sub that builds part A and then I have another sub that builds part B. And then that sub has 10 different companies underneath of it for its supplies. And there's subcomponents that are built pre before this robot comes, or it'd be like an iPhone or whatever. And I think an iPhone's a bad example um, because Apple's such a powerful company. Uh, but go and look at the car, comp the car industry or wherever, right? Like find a complex end item that's being constructed. And then you, you go down that supply chain and you look at their ability to access pieces and parts. And if we went back 40 years, they might be able to reach out to 20 different vendors. And then 20 years ago, they might've been able to reach out to, you know, 10 different vendors. Now they might be able to reach out to three different vendors for one tiny component of, of this thing that we're building, okay? Now let's say it's down to three that you can access. And now one of those companies goes bankrupt that you used to get the parts from. And now there's only two left. What is that doing to the price? What is it doing to the, to the reliability of receiving the part? What is it doing? So when we talk about the supply chains are jacked, a lot of people I think wanna just look at it and be like, oh yeah, COVID and uh, you know, supply chains are bad. But what they're failing to see is there's been a, systemic decay of supply chain disrupt uh destruction that's been happening for 40 years what why 
What's because of that? because of policies that are that are being made. So like if you would go into a forest and you would say, why does this forest not have a lot of biodiversity in it? My answer without no, even knowing would just be there has to be some type of intervention that's happening in the forest. Some human has to be going in there or some animal that's extremely or whatever, right? There has to be manipulation right. in there that's causing, it's not free and open and naturally occurring. And so when we look at our global economy and the coordination that's happening amongst all of these, all of these central banks, there's, they're, they're destroying the biodiversity of business itself which is destroying the supply chains, which is causing the prices to go higher and and just in time supply chains to to break down. And that's driving the costs to go up, which is exploding your bond market because it's priced for near perfection at 0% interest rates because they were used to literally these models that, that got parts and pieces there always right on time. And so you're seeing the unraveling of that and the debt markets aren't priced for it. The equity markets aren't priced for it. The commodity markets aren't priced for it. And so you're having a realization of, of that. And that trend, that trend is, is um, and, it, and it comes to this really simple thing, supply and demand, right? So the Fed is trying to suck demand out of the, out of the economy through this model that has caused all these issues for in this in these biodiversity competition issues in society that's breaking the supply chains. But when you look at prices as they're trying to destroy demand, the thing that people aren't talking about is are they destroying supply faster? And if they are, prices aren't coming down. They might actually keep going up. Okay? Because it's just a simple supply and demand calculation. So everybody's talking about, oh, the Fed's going to do supply, or I'm sorry, demand destruction, demand destruction. That's going to cause this to correct itself. Then we're going to do QE again and all this. But what they're failing to discuss is the reality of real economic uh, activities. They don't see it because they've worked in finance their whole yeah. life. They're not building products. They're not actually project managers delivering real quality things that, that society actually demands. And that's the thing that, that frustrates me because people don't talk about it at all. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying now. It's a buying time. We're holding right. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini is also running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did, all you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it is the BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients in all supported currencies. 
Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. So if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up is Wasabi. Now, Wasabi is what I'm using to keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. Or the magic happens automatically in the background, which was a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, and Wasabi 2.0 makes it so easy. To find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have the Texas Blockchain Council. Now, on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council is putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. This event will be two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. Day two is where we will hear from top policy leaders in the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives and CFTC commissioners. So what more could you ask for? Now, I'm not just promoting this. I will be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies and interviewing a very important person. So make sure you book your ticket and check out this event. And also, if you come along, come say hello. It'd be good to meet some of you. To find out more, please head over to TexasBlockchainSummit.org. That is TexasBlockchainSummit.org. How, how does this get fixed then? Uh, can it be fixed? I mean, forest fires solve the, uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to naturally work itself out. Yeah. And I think it's, it's Bitcoin that steps in and supplies because what causes this? What causes this? So we talked about fiscal appropriators. Shall I give the, you a good example? Yeah, go ahead. About yeah. Bitcoin fixes something like this. So obviously we've come to the conference. We brought, what, six boxes of merchandise to sell. And there's kind of three or four ways people could pay us. They could give us cash, which is kind of annoying because we're in the UK and we'd have to, yeah, but we accept it. They could pay us with Bitcoin, obviously. They can pay us with on their card or they could use something like PayPal. There's, there's the, like the four main kind of choices. Um, so we've come over uh, and bought a Square app, uh, Square device as a reader. And we've got here, and we've registered it and it says, uh, seven days till this account is approved. And I was like, like, so it means we can't, we couldn't use a card reader at, at the event. And I was thinking to myself, why does this take seven days? And I was thinking, I don't think it's because of Square. I mm. think it's because of all the regulatory things they have to go through mm -hmm. to check whether we're legitimate, all those kind of things, yeah. right? Yeah. That stops us. But it doesn't stop us doing business. And actually, I think for Emma, one of the amazing things is like, she's not totally in the Bitcoin space, right? She's, um, you know, works with us on the team, but she isn't there day to day. Um, and I'll tell you a funny story about that in a second. But um, 
the easiest thing is for people to pay us in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But but not only is it the easiest, it's actually now the fastest thing. Mm-hmm. So we can come here and immediately accept money, get paid. We have the Bitcoin. We don't. It's not even an IOU. It's because it's, it's a bare mm-hmm. instrument. And it, and the payments over the Lightning Network are so quick. Did we have any failed payments? I don't think so. How many how many Bitcoin payments did we do? The majority, right? Yeah. Wow. And they and it's just like this is so. It actually, is the point is like even though price volatility is not helpful to us, we want to know when we get a pound note, it's a pound note, yeah, right? Yeah. Actually, when everyone's turning up, it's like we want to get paid in Bitcoin just because it's the easiest. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not me being a Bitcoiner who just wants to get Bitcoin because it's cool. It's actually, you know, this is the easiest. Hmm. We have the Bitcoin. When we go back to the UK, we haven't got to do the currency conversions. We, yeah, haven't, got to worry, yeah. we haven't got to carry cash over. We haven't got to wait to get, because you, you don't actually also get paid for 24 hours with the card. It just naturally was the best thing. Bitcoin has solved friction in the system that was created through uh, either poor company but, companies or, or regulation. But let me just tell you the funny part of this. <laughs> so Emma's not even in Bitcoin. When we first started accepting Bitcoin at the club, she actually figured the thing out on open note and taught me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but so so that is just one example where Bitcoin fixed a problem, a, yeah. a business problem, whereby if we hadn't had Bitcoin, I don't know what we would have done. Yeah. Well, the, the, what I'm describing as far as like how does it resolve itself? If we were, if we would go back to like the the forest, right? Yeah. How would you how would you reverse the trend of the forest doing it? You have to stop manipulating. You have to stop manipulating it, right? That's what Bitcoin does. Is it's a it forces free and open cost of capital, and that's how that's how we've got to this point. Is if the central banks step in and they backstop and too big to fail, go back to two thousand eight. All the banks that were bailed out. You're not allowing a free and open market to happen. You're not allowing a free and open cost of capital to happen. And if you're manipulating the cost of capital, you're manipulating the cost, the price of literally everything. So without a free and open market, you cannot expect, you cannot expect supply chains to optimize themselves in the most efficient manner possible if you don't have a free and open cost of capital. It's, it's really that simple. And so Bitcoin steps in, it does that in a very decentralized way. It doesn't do it, do it in an immediate way because it takes time for the market to realize what it's actually supplying. And the price volatility scares people away because all their expenses are denominated in the fiat currency. And so that, that adjudication is gonna take time, but it is gonna supply the, the, the natural response. Like I've, I've said this to people in maybe other view, interviews or whatever, but like, if you went to like a pond and you poured some like toxic sludge in there, you'll you'll find that because there's no other manipulation or intervention in that pond, the pond's gonna naturally try to, to heal itself by this orange goop that kind of like grows around it and it tries to handle it and solve, it'll naturally try to solve the problem of that intervention and that that uh, alien material that's in that's not part of the natural environment. And so what Bitcoin is, is it's that manifestation of it's trying to naturally step in and heal all of this mutilation that's kind of happening from, from manipulation. So interestingly for us on the Bitcoin side of things, it's probably around 10 to 20%. I wouldn't know the exact number of our total transactions on the football club are things paid for in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Because it's 10 to 20% and our margins are higher than that, 
we can just use Bitcoin now without even worrying about price volatility. We couldn't yeah. if it was 100%. Yeah. If it was 100%, we would naturally always have to sell at least 80% to cover our costs and not worry about price volatility. But we can do that now. And we just, everything we get in Bitcoin, we just leave that in a separate wallet in a float yeah. that just sits there. What I'm going to, and what I'm imagining is over time, it's going to be easy for us to go to say 30% and then 40%. And we will naturally transition to that because I think not only will the Bitcoin we're holding go up in value that gives us a buffer, but also I think over time the volatility of Bitcoin will drop. It naturally will drop. So we will naturally transition. What I can't see is, is like it's easy for us. Where is the first massive market that does something like this? It, will there be, I don't know, will there be people settling oil in Bitcoin? Will there, where, where, where do we you, break off some big chunks? You have... You have uh, the developed nations that are going to use Bitcoin for savings technology. So any type of free cash flows that a company makes, they can sweep them into Bitcoin to, to try to preserve their buying power. Yeah. Uh, they will preserve their buying power if they hold it long enough, um, in, in my opinion. Um, and that's how I've been functioning with my business for a very long time. Um, I think in the developing nations, you have a different situation because they're unbanked. And because they have these just rot currencies, um, they're going to start using it as a transactional layer, especially because now, like you were describing, Lightning is just built out and it's phenomenal. So they're going to use it in that way because they're getting uh, a store of value that's way better than their existing currency. Plus, they can use it as a transactional layer. And I also think that the energy piece to this, I think that you're going to find that you're going to have investors that are going to start looking at cheap energy in some of these developing nation states. And they're going to say, holy, like I can go out here and get um, energy for two cents per kilowatt hour. Like I can mine out there and stay in the green, even with a difficulty adjustment, because I'm getting the electricity so cheap. And they're going to go out and they're going to make these investments into these areas. They're going to stand up these mining facilities. They're now going to have energy that was untapped was not being utilized at all but because there's an economic incentive to make investment there that shows that you're in the green from the beginning and lynn talked a little bit about this at the conference yesterday which i thought was a brilliant comment of hers um so now you get this energy hub that's now being stood up in in these emerging economies and then you're getting uh other things that are that are going to manifest themselves because they now have access to energy itself through the miners that are that are being stood up in those locations, and so and they're using it as a as a transactional layer. And I think that's where you really get this grassroots from the bottom up type movement inside of Bitcoin. And you're kind of approaching it from from both directions. The developing world is using it purely as a savings technology because they have so much. Uh, debt that's denominated in fiat, and that's going to take time to transition. And then on, on the emerging economies areas, it's going to be a lot of of these really unique, just amazing ways that they're tapping into it and figuring out a, a way to use it. Hmm. I mean, I I find the whole thing fascinating, and I was just I was really blown away by not having like because wouldn't I used to use like a couple of years ago when I was using Lightning Network, anything over fifty dollars. You know, maybe one in three would fail, one in four would fail. 
like I say, we didn't have a single lightning payment. Yeah, that's about. amazing. Yeah. And some of the payments were over $200, $300. Yeah. yeah. And to me, that's amazing. And it's and like I say, it's, one, it's another one where I'm like, this just makes our life easier. Yeah. You know, when we're abroad and we've, we've got a merch stand, I just want everyone to pay in Bitcoin because every part of that makes our life easier. Yeah. And so, yeah. All right. So anyway, sorry, back to the macro stuff. Okay. So everything's kind of fucked. <laughs> what, you say something could break or we're waiting for something to break. Do you not see a scenario whereby we're, everything's kind of calming down a bit, we're going to end up a little bit kind of like Japan, a slow, gradual death no, over I think years? That, I think that was a function of j them uh, just kind of uh, arriving at this end state way sooner than everybody else. Right. They, you know... They're, they're a different scenario, or at least they were for a very long time because they were net producers. Yeah. They weren't net consumers um, where everybody else is a net consumer. So you're able to, you're able to do things differently. And, and that comparison is hard to, to kind of make to the US, the UK, the, the EU. Um, but let me, let me pull on that for just a second. And I know I, I've talked about this a lot on mm. my show, but I think this is a really, really important thing. Uh, talking point for people to understand is when I look at the world and if I had to kind of simply explain the chaos that's ensuing right now, I would, I would describe it as simply as this. You have net producers, people who, who are giving, they're, they're going out, they're working and they're providing products and services into the global economy. And they're, what's coming out of their borders is more than what they're taking in. Then on the other side of the, and, and you got half of the world like that, and then you have the other half of the world that are net consumers. They're consuming more than they bring in. The ones that are consuming more than what they bring in, they're all your highly indebted nation states with fiat currency, with unbacked fiat currencies that insist on making payments to the net producers, the ones that are providing more than what they consume, right? And all these net consumers are saying, uh, yeah, no, uh, we're not taking those paper promises anymore. Uh, but if you want to pay us in our currency, you can. We don't want it because we know you're going to, we know you're going to mutilate it. And if you give me a dollar today, it's going to be worth 90 cents tomorrow. So you can keep that garbage. And if you want to pay us in our currency, you want to pay us in gold, or you want to pay us in Bitcoin, we'll take that. But we're not taking your your lies. I refer to the, you know, you give me a dollar today, but it's worth 90 cents tomorrow. That's a lie, right? We're not going to accept your lies anymore. Is this actually happening? This is what's, this is what I would argue, this is what Russia, Ukraine. Well, Russia was all of it is all about, right? Like, think about it. If you're a person going out and you're like extracting uh, natural resources out of the ground, like performing, like using your muscle in order to actually do this type of work. And you're supplying it into a market that is a net consumer, right? And think of it like this, Pete, like if, if we were, if we just had a generic business and like, you're coming to me and you're constantly, I'm buying stuff from you and then you're buying stuff from me, but I, I'm buying way more from you than, than, than vice versa, right? Like you're providing me uh, an apple or any type of product, right? It's just something really simple. You're providing me a ton of those. And what I'm paying you in are lies that get more worthless by the hour. 
eventually you come to me and you say, well, here's the deal, dude. Like, uh, you can, you can pay me back in pairs because I'm providing you apples because these paper slips, they're no good. And they're getting no, you know, they're getting worse by, by the day. And I say, no, Pete, you're going to keep giving me the apples, right? And I'm going to keep giving you these paper promises. And you, you're like, well, no, I, I think I'm going to punch you in the face instead. Right? I am. I'm going to fucking punch you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you have happening. And that's and I, why we have war. And I'm not trying to, and, and this is very important. I'm not trying to, to justify any actions, especially physical violence. Let me tell you. I'm not trying to pr promote, promote any of that. What You're I'm, telling us why it's happening. What, what I'm trying to describe is the quandary that the world is in. You have people who are trying to provide molecules, like real physical things, and they're trying, and the payment, the people who are receiving these in excess of what they're producing themselves are trying to pay back with digital fake promises in cyberspace that they can control and manipulate how many of these digital units exist to, to represent the value of those molecules, those physical molecules that are being received, okay? That's, that's what the whole thing is about in the world right now. But this is a good thing if people start saying, I'm not gonna be paid in that, I wanna be paid in our currency or Bitcoin. Like, it's gonna, it, isn't that gonna create better money? Of, absolutely, yeah. well, and, and why? Why is it that they're willing to accept this digital unit that's actually backed with encrypted energy that actually has real work, like the work that people that are providing the physical molecules are doing? People have to, they have to take a step back and ask yourself, like, why are they willing to, to accept Bitcoin or their, their local currency or gold is the only thing that they'll accept? And why are the countries that aren't willing to make payments, like why won't the EU make payments in, in those things? Why, why are they saying, no, we, we refuse, you have to accept our euros or you have to accept our dollars? Why, why are they so insistent on it? It's because they fully intend on paying them with worthless paper. So you just believe that we're going to have this transition now to Bitcoin and it's, you know, we're really talking like years and decades, but as more people just realize it's a better current, like I have, so I'm doing it, you're doing it to some extent, like there's this gradual it's kind of scope creep of Bitcoin's role in all of this. Yeah, it's, it's bringing to the forefront this idea that if people want to, want to make payment with a digital unit, how do you tether that digital unit to physical reality? Hmm. Because right now it's not tethered to physical reality. Like the dollar, the euro, the yen, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, they, they hold all the keys. They can go in and they can Sam Bankman Freud, the, the number of units, they can add as many as they want. They can, they can claw back the units. How, how do you do that? Well, it's Bitcoin, right? It's, it's, we are going to tether digital units to physical reality through a mining encryption so that it's secure, so that nobody can step in and do it. 
and it and it resolves this massive issue that's taking place in the world. And and one final thing that really kind of pulls into this is environmental, right? Why do you think all the banks and central banks are saying going out and saying we now need to be we don't just need to be doing monetary policy. We now need to be good stewards of the environment. Why are they saying that? Because when you have a system where the digital units can be just made up and expanded at, at crazy levels, right? What you do is you set up an ecosystem of overconsumption. Because if you're constantly yeah. being de debased out of, your, out of your money, you're incentivized to go out and consume as much as possible. Absolutely. You, ha you have to, right? So it all, it literally all fits together when you look at it through this framework, because you can see that people, this whole system incentivizes overconsumption. You can't expect the, the free and open market, which in my opinion doesn't exist today, to properly arrange itself in an efficient and optimized manner for correct resource consumption, efficient resource consumption, when the cost of capital is, is totally manipulated. But with this, it starts solving those problems naturally, just like the forest is healing itself. All right, so I'm obviously with you on this the whole way, and I believe you and and uh, and agree with you. And but what I wonder is then is like how how do we communicate this to more people? Because Seder was saying the same. It's like he doesn't understand why people aren't seeing what we're seeing. Like how do we communicate this? Or is it one of those things we just cannot force? This is just a natural, this is just going to naturally happen. We're going to have these cycles and these waves of adoption. And each time we're going to shoot up a bit more. We're going to have a 10x increase in people. And then we're going to come back down. Is, is, is this just in the design? I, I wonder if society could handle it happening faster. I possibly not. Because or, or if, think how much uh, uh, capital destruction there would be. Yeah. Yeah. So like, is as much as I want everybody to understand Bitcoin because I think it's salvation in a, in a world that's really hurting, right? I, I also look at it and I say, like, could the world handle this transition faster? And like, what would, what would that look like? Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about like the central banks raising rates and being too aggressive and it's just gonna obliterate and, and bankrupt so many businesses and it's going to have these cascading destruction of supply chains and things like that. And so I, I would use that kind of as a template, people saying that's, that's not the way to do it. You need it to be more gradual or whatever, right? I don't know what the right answer is, but I guess that's what I would ask back is like, well, if we do educate and we do aggressively figure out a way that we could just pull a matrix and download this knowledge into everybody's brain, would that be the most optimal outcome? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it would be, maybe it wouldn't be. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think so because um, I don't think we can handle a repricing that quickly. And also, I mean, I remember when I was in Colombia and I met a guy from Venezuela and he said um, it, it, almost his entire net worth was destroyed overnight. Mm -hmm. He lost everything. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like one individual in one country telling me his story, but we knew, know that happened across Venezuela. Like everybody just lost everything, all their savings, yeah, yeah. value of everything. We know that's happened in Argentina. To ha that to happen globally, you know, uh, where a lot of people have uh, 
been used to a life whereby they've had certain wealth and that gets destroyed overnight. What happens to their properties? What happens to their jobs? I mean, I, I don't think it would be a good thing for it to be fast. Yeah. Controlled transition, I think, is the optimal scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is an interesting example with with FTX is like, look at the pace and the speed that that happened and how so many people were like, not your keys, not your coins. Yeah, whatever. Like, you idiots, you, you boomers, right? Like, that's what these people were looking at us like, we're just, how can you literally just take Bitcoin and put it on a on a hardware wallet and sit there with no yield, you you dummy, right? Well, who's the who's the dummy now, right? Who's the dummy now who who didn't play in those in those games? Um. So the speed it gets yeah. back to the speed, right? Like you have to, people have to be educated on what this thing is. I, I you know, I look at Bitcoin almost like an affinity stone. Like it's it's very hard to be able to like be able to hold on to that thing without it like turning you inside out because <laughs> it's so powerful. It really, it really is. It's, it's, it, the, the technology is so powerful that you have to really guard against like, uh, getting cute with it. So. All right, man. Well, listen, I'm with you on all of this. Um, I think, uh, your coffee's ready for you. I'm now ready as well. for my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Preston, always good to talk to you. Wasn't what I thought we were going to talk about, but it was even better. Uh, you make me even more bullish on Bitcoin, which is great. Um, yeah, appreciate you coming on, brother. Thanks, Pete. Ooh. Always, always an honor to come on, and I'm, I love our chats. Yeah, me too, man. Okay, uh, and by the way, the Monopoly one that sent waves through <laughs> Bitcoin, Twitter, and YouTube. People loved it, didn't they? Absolutely. That was yeah. very popular. Awesome. Show. Good. Good. So uh, yeah, we're going to need another. We, maybe we need a Scrabble, or we'll need a <laughs> game of life. We'll need another analogy. one. Yeah, a boggle analogy. There's a good mining boggle analogy. Is there? Yeah, you're going to ask me to say it, and I can't remember it, but there is. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Great story, Danny. Great story. <laughs> All right, man. Take care, dude. Thanks. Okay, thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I'm out of LA now. I'm traveling up to Vegas. Danny's never been. I'm taking him there for his first time. We've got one night in Vegas, and then I'm heading over to Texas for the Texas Blockchain Summit. Going to be spending some time with some Bitcoiners and catching up, which is going to be cool. And then I'm heading back to Vegas. My friends, the Ghost Inside, are playing two nights. I'm going to be there with them watching both shows. But I'm also going to be running a live podcast with them, which is super cool because whilst I love this Bitcoin stuff, I also love metal. So it's good to spend some time doing something else. And then I'm going to be heading back to the UK, getting back to my family and getting back to my football team, which I can't wait to do. I do want to say a massive thanks to Preston for coming on the show. I love that guy. Please do go and check out his podcast if you haven't. It's like mine, but infinitely better. Okay, any questions, email me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Have a great rest of your week and I will see you soon.